This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Lisa Graham coming to you from Madison, Wisconsin today. And you are listening to a special Draft Horse episode of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network, presented by the Draft Horse Journal for April 6, 2017. Our episode today is 1670. This episode is brought to you by the National Clydesdale Sale. Good morning, Heavy Horse World. Good morning. As I promised, we are going to have a class that is second to none. We are going to be bringing in the Clydesdales, the Belgians, and the Percherons in the arena. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this Thursday morning in April already. And we have been doing the Draft Horse Show now for like nine months. It does not seem possible. When we were going over our notes this morning, nine months, and it seems like we get more exciting guests and and more enthusiasm each and every show. It does, and it's one of my favorite shows to do every month because I'm, you know me, I just love draft horses. So, you know, for me, it's a personal fun thing to do, too. Uh, draft horses and ponies. Uh, now, the only thing we haven't done yet, I don't have a pony show. We need a pony show on the network. Uh, then, then we'll have both extremes covered. The big <laughs> yeah, and we'll the go little. from high to... Exactly. Or minis. And, you know, I guess we need a mini to our... show to get really into the other extreme, though, don't we? Uh, well, I, I do some mini shows. So I, I know Iowa State Fair, one of our sponsors today, has a, an extremely large miniature so, show. Oh, so really? maybe you and Jennifer can come out to, to Des Moines and watch it. It must I think be there funny was... seeing the draft and the mini side by side. <laughs> <laughs> they compete together on each really? side of the arena. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, that must it's be quite funny. A show. <laughs> and I think last year there was almost 100 of them. So. Yeah, it's it's a huge miniature show, so do, I don't know how we diverse to that. I don't know either, but do some <laughs> of the draft horses just look at them like they're evil creatures? They do, and believe it or not, a lot of times if a junior is showing one of the miniatures and it gets away and it runs over on the draft horse side, everybody just, it's kind of funny because the draft horses just kind of turn their heads down and look at them like, what are you doing on my side <laughs> yeah. of the arena? And what exactly are you again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. We, well, we sold our uh, our... our uh, second Percheron, he ended up going to retire at a farm uh, north of us. And we went up to visit him the one time, and he had, he had developed a little, not much larger than a mini, friend. And they became best friends, and this mm-hmm. little guy would walk under his legs, but they were inseparable, uh, those two, yeah. the little mini and the, and the 18 and a half hand Percheron. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we kind of have that at our house. We have the min- some miniature donkeys, and they're good security guards for us out there you know we have coyotes oh yeah they'll keep them away and the donkeys are really good with keeping the coyotes away but they're the same thing they they're right underneath in fact yesterday i saw them out in the round oh did we lose you let's hope not lisa oh no she lisa we had such a good connection at a she's staying at a hotel and now she's completely gone 
<laughs> Poor Lisa. She cannot win. Uh, she cannot Can't win. win. They assured her she would have excellent internet. Yes. They did, but we're gonna uh, we're gonna try and get Lisa back here. They lied. I know. This is why we always end up with Lisa on her phone. It is one of the disadvantages of doing. But why? What? It's one of the disadvantages of doing podcasts with horse people. <laughs> nobody ever has a good internet well, connection. Yeah. We're pretty much always somewhere where there's lousy reception. Hey, well, while you're trying to get Lisa back, why don't I tell everybody what's coming up on today's show? Okay. Coming up. On today's Draft Horse Journal episode, brought to you this month by the National Clydesdale Sale, Marissa Greenslade-Cush is going to talk about chiropractic care for, yes, draft horses, and then Jonathan Cush, yes, a relation, that's her husband, he's going to explain how he learned about draft horses, horses in general, and breeding from the ground up, because he did not grow up a horse guy, and... Last but not least, Jeff Gower is going to talk about Soaring Eagle Farm and the importance of that name and importing Clydesdales from England. So there you go. All right. We're still trying to get trying to get Lisa back here, see if she uh, see if she'll show up. The problem is when you're at a hotel is that. Um, well, there's lots of problems. Somebody <laughs> downloaded it was, a movie. It was all going well, and then all of a sudden I lost Well, everybody. I told you, as soon as everybody wakes up and started choosing the internet, that's when we're going to lose the connection. You oh. watch. <laughs> but wow. anyway, where are you at? What? I am in Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm up here for the Midwest Select Sale. Um, it's another great horse sale that's helping to promote our draft horse industry. But actually here, it's kind of unique. Today they're selling light horses, the driving horses. Um, you'll see a lot of Amish influence here today mm. out buying some some horses. And then tomorrow is the draft horse sale. It's it's a beautiful facility, and it, and it kind of comes full circle with a lot of our guests and a lot of our sponsors because Madison does play a key role with our draft horses. This is where the World Clydesdale Show has been in the past. It's where it's going to be in the year 2018. Um, just it's it's a beautiful state of the art facility. And if, if you've not had a chance to be here for any events, the the Clydesdale World Show would be a tremendous place to come and watch. And um, I'm telling you, we have a lot of vendors set up there. And again, going back to help support our sponsors that support our show, I'm set up with the Clydesdale store and more. And right next to me is Shipshawana Harness. Oh, so yeah. if there's anything you need, Bob and Jim are there. They have trailers and tack and and it's it's really fun watching them set up. And before they even get things unloaded, people are coming over saying, oh, I forgot this strap. Oh, I need a halter. Oh, I need a lead rope. And and they have everything. If there's anything for a horse that you need, Shipshawana Harness and Supplies has it. So they're by me. And then yesterday as we're all setting up the doors open and the Regal Eagle came in and Dave Backman with uh, Regal Marketing Group comes in and he has this trailer and I shared on my Facebook the pictures. He has our horse show Horses in the Morning logo and the Horse Radio Network logo on the trailer. So it's nice to see him promoting us. And he, he's been a generous sponsor of our show. So Dave is there ready to, to market our draft yeah, horse. Yeah, he, he actually uh, asked to do that. And we really appreciate him doing that. That was, uh, that was all on his volition. So, yeah, uh, you know, he seems great. to be a big supporter of the industry and really just wants to promote the industry. Well, like yeah. I told you, he he pulls in with his semi, and and we kind of call it the Regal Eagle. And so, as soon as he come in and set his parking brake, everybody was like, "the the Eagle has landed. He's here." <laughs> so, it, it, it's well. It's I told him one of these days we're going to be in a place where we can actually do a show from his trailer. You know, one of these well, oh, days. Was, 
That would be that would be awesome. Um, but I hear you got to see some of our gentle giants up close and personal. Yeah, we were. There were a couple of them. There was a team that was out. At, it was the Express uh, team, uh, Express mm-hmm. Clydesdales, and they were at Live Oak International this year. So I got to see them and visited with them for a little bit. And of course, so you know. And it, what's interesting about Live Oak is they have they have a very fancy stadium set up with a grass with uh, it's not sand, it's grass, and they have a mm-hmm. jumping course that you know they get big. They get a hundred, two hundred. $50,000 classes. So they already have the jump set up ready for the afternoon class. And these guys come out and they weave in and <laughs> between the jumps. So that's interesting. How did the grass look? The gra- <laughs> you know, they have really good turf there at Live Oak. But let me tell you, it is interesting seeing him weave in and out with a six, you know, in and out of those jumps. That that uh, It's tight quarters. <laughs> right. Oh, that's that's funny. But I, I think there'd be a, a really a big hit down there, those people getting to see the six-horse hitch and seeing the whole process, yes. harnessing up and then coming through. And like you come said, watch. Let me tell you, they oh, come watch. There's nothing like watching a six horse hitch get ready, and and especially with Express, everything is first class, and and it's it's all done very smoothly, and, and they put on a great performance. So that was that was kind of neat. I was hoping to see you up trying to hold the lines of the six. No, he wouldn't let me. I asked, oh, but for some reason, he just wouldn't let. He's, me. He must have heard of your. Driving he's a smart man. Right? Well, you know, there were a lot of jumps in the arena, so there, <laughs> there's that that little problem. That uh, and I, I, they did almost take out a, a, a set of jumps uh, at one point, and and I don't know if the horses spooked to the left or right, but they got real close <laughs> to wow. take out a wow, set. Wow, that's funny. I remember years and years ago showing Clydesdales at the Florida State Fair, and we showed on the kind of the same thing. It was it was set up for the light horses, and in the ladies' cart class. I remember I had to go around water hazards and I'm always thinking we're normally in an arena that's got a nice footing, but here we're on this grass lot and there's water hazards. You were almost doing a CDE right there. Yeah. And I just didn't know it. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Nothing like showing horses in, in Florida, nothing like it. In the winter. In the, at any time. In the summer, it's a little warm. I just remember Stalls had um, palm trees outside of them, and I thought, this is amazing. Who has a stall with a horse and a palm tree all together? So, yeah, a little, little nicer than some of the fairs we get up here where the humidity hits uh, like 110 during the summer. So, yeah. Now, now this sale you're at now, so you said it has both. We went to, we've actually bought a couple of horses. We used to live in Lancaster County, and they had... They had one auction that was pretty much exclusively Amish, and I was shocked at their at their Saturday horses. They're really nice driving horses that you know, not the everyday station wagons, but the fancy ones. <laughs> um, when they would buy their fancy ones, they were spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars on these fancy driving horses. Uh, you know, and again, that was Sunday go to church horses, not not Tuesday right. go to the market horses. Well, we were watching the preview yesterday and, and the movement on these horses and behind it, they literally float. And and this was just letting people running them up and down the aisles, you know, just trying to trying to show them off a little bit. And I thought, oh, my gosh, if we could influence our draft horses with some of that, it, it would be amazing because, yeah, I'd, I'd never been up close to watch this kind of driving horse sale. So it starts this morning. So it'd be interesting to see, see what the how their are. numbers are. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they pay cash most of the time. So, you know, they're 
there with their wads in their pockets. And well, uh, I hope they stop by the Clydesdale store and more than <laughs> <laughs> the first hackney I ever had. Uh, I what we got from one of those Amish sales actually uh, was mm-hmm. a hackney roadster pony. And that's the first one we bought was at one of those Amish sales. And it was an interesting experience because they were giving away steak dinners. Every time you bought a horse, you got a steak dinner that they were making right there. Well, I had to buy a second pony because Jennifer was hungry. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hook, line, and sink. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to talk with Randy. Randy's kind of in charge of of working with this show. And we're going to talk to him later on and and have him as one of our guests in the future to find out. Like they call this the, the select sale. So, I kind of tried to preview him a little bit yesterday, and he says, you know, he says, we just want to be a little picky. We don't want a big number. We want quality, not quantity, to come to our sale. And I think there's about 100 head that are going to sell tomorrow. So it would be interesting. All the markets have been up. You know, the Topeka Livestock Sale in Indiana, the numbers were, were high. And Waverly, Iowa, if you had any kind of team of horses – they, the, the numbers are almost off the charts. So horse the horse market is really good out there, and, and I'm anticipating tomorrow a lot of breeding horses. And, and actually, yesterday was I was watching a lot of the hitch people are here. They probably have a, a spot to fill in their hitch, and they come here. This is one of the last sales of our season. So they're coming here to, to, to kind of find that last horse that they need. So I'm anticipating a good sale. Terrific. Well, speaking about good sales, there's another one coming up. It's a 2017 National Clydesdale sale. And by the way, Lisa, I wanted to say, if we lose you again and I can't get you back, uh, have your cell handy and I'll just call your cell. It's right here. Okay, good. The National Clydesdale sale isn't just another auction. It's a world-class event. It is the largest offering of Clydesdales anywhere on the planet. On Thursday, April 27th, the Clyde Breeders of the USA will hold their annual meeting, and you can take educational seminars from some of the industry's top experts as the sale horses arrive. The TAC Equipment and Collectible sales held on Friday. It always includes something for everyone and every budget, and that's the one Jennifer would never let me go to because I always spend too much money. <laughs> the sale itself begins at 9 a.m. AM sharp on Saturday, April 29th. Nowhere, not even in Scotland, will you find a bigger offering of Clydesdale horses, nor better genetics. Mares, stallions, geldings, teams, young stock, you name it, it's there. It's being held at the National Equestrian Center in uh, Lake St. Louis, Missouri. I always get that wrong. It's Lake St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it's the single largest Clydesdale and convention held anywhere. All of the record prices for the breed are attained at the National Clydesdale Sale. The buyers ca- come because it's where the very best horses are consigned. Oh, yeah. And Lisa is the announcer. So you're going to be there, too. I'll be there. For more information and to schedule events, visit the Clyde, uh, De- the Clyde Breeders of the USA website at Clyde'sUSA.com. That's Clyde's with an S, USA.com. And for questions about consignments, visit Clyde'sUSA.com. All coming up. Well, let, we have our first guest ready. We do, and I'm excited today to have a, a, a young lady that I've known for a lot of years in our draft horse industry. We're going to be welcoming Marissa Greenslade Cush. Uh, she is an equine chiropractor, but she is so much more in our industry. So we'd like to welcome you, Marissa. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Glenn. Hi. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go back in time, Marissa. The first time that I think I ever okay. remember seeing you at a show. You come in with a dapple gray pertron, just driving in the ladies' cart class like you were going for the gusto. And I, I instantly thought to myself, my God, she's, she's beautiful. She's talented. 
where did she come from? And then when I got to meet you and, and got to know you over the years, I'm like, my gosh, she is one of the most well-rounded horsewomen that, that we have in our industry right now. And so we don't want to talk all, all about that. We want to hear about how you're making a living in our draft horse industry, because you, you are very educated and, and you're working hard with a lot of the horses in our industry. So tell us a little bit about how you became or why you became a vet tech and what you're doing now to help the horses in your area. Um, well, first of all, thank you for that, Lisa. That's very kind of you. Um, I initially wanted something to do with the draft horse industry, and there aren't a ton of top lady drivers, if you will, in this business that um, are, you know, successful as the top person at the hitch. Um, right. Because of that, I thought, well, I'll go into vet technician. And then from there, um, I was actually working for a vet and he recommended me going into chiropractic, um, which at that time, um, early 2000s, there weren't many equine chiropractors around. Um, Not alone a woman doing it. That wanted to work. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then let alone working on draft horses of all things. Um, yeah, the, see, that so was my question. That, Are you like kind of... seven foot tall and weigh about 350 pounds? How the heck <laughs> no. do you do chiropractic on a draft horse? Do they put you from a winch from the ceiling or they, do they hang the horse up? How exactly does that work? Uh, no. no, no. And, you know, a very common question I get is that um, it doesn't necessarily uh I don't ask them to lay down. Um, it's funny how many people will say, so how do you teach them to lay down so that you can work on them? <laughs> like, well, I don't really have that kind of time. Um, so, but it truly with chiropractic, it doesn't necessarily require a ton of force or, you know, huge feats of strength or anything like that. It's just all about the right amount of pressure applied at the right position. Um, and truly with that, uh, if you can get the horse to relax, um, loosen up the muscles a little bit before making the adjustment, it's actually better on the horse and on me and typically will last longer. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm seven foot tall. <laughs> okay. I'll just check it. <laughs> but I, one thing I always had wondered, it says in here that you attended um, your schooling for your chiropractic in British Columbia. And that seems to be one of the top schools. So is that focus just on horses there? Because I know from knowing you that you work on cattle, pigs, people's dogs, you'll work on any animals. But yeah. when you, when you go to British Columbia, is it a focus just on, on horses? The, yes and no. The primary focus, I would say, is on horses. Um, we did, while we were there, work on some cattle and some dogs. Um, I truly got the majority of my cattle experience more when I got back, um, actually, from a previous guest of yours, Steve Andrews. Um, Steve had actually, we were at a draft horse sale, and Steve had actually asked me about working on some cattle for him. Um, his son, Jason, is uh, big in the show steer world. Mm -hmm. Um, so Jason actually got me, um, more in the cattle aspect of it than, than necessarily just the schooling. Very, very interesting. But and yeah. Now I do, I do work now on, 
um, sheep and pigs and all sorts of crazy things. Wow. So when, when you work on an animal, do you see instant relief with them or does it something that just like when we go to the chiropractor, it hurts good, but then it takes a little while for the muscles to get used (laughs) to how you work them. Do you see instant relief? Um, I would say it's a combination of both instant relief. You'll first see, um, licking and chewing, you know, they'll drop their head, their eye will get softer. Um, but you know, there are some of them that are so sore and have been in such pain that then, um, I do ask them then to have a day or two of downtime. Um, and some horses you can just, um, you can adjust them and you can go use them that night. But I normally just ask that they have a day or two off and, and as with humans, give them plenty of water and that kind of thing. Um, they, for the most part, right away, you should see them licking and chewing. Um, any chiropractor that works, um, that's the instant sign. Wow. Okay. Now, now you, you made a decision, um, a few years ago to expand your business and to move into what I see on the internet is called the Magna wave. And that seems to be something that's really growing in our industry as well. So tell us a little bit about the Magna wave and and what it does and how it helps you pinpoint where you need to work. So the Magna wave basically uh, enhances the synthesis of the protein in the cells, um, which then allows the body to take full advantage of those proteins. Um, With the Magna wave, the circulations improved, um, the lymphatic system stimulated so that it cleans the damaged areas and detoxifies the body. Um, And you'll see them a lot of times uh, with the Magna wave, uh, it's the same type of responses they'll They'll drop their head. They'll lick and chew. Um, with the Magna Wave, though, it's, uh, it improves circulation, uh, oxygenation, and blood flow to the area. So, um, and, and the benefit truly with the Magna Wave is that it can penetrate so deep into the horse. So, by the time you work on both sides of the horse, you're truly all the way through. So, those very inner muscles that we at once with just hand massage, we're not able to reach. Um, now we're able to reach with the Magna Wave. So um, I, I'm seeing a lot of improvement in, um, you know, there were different cases where I'd have issues with keeping a pelvis in place or keeping a shoulder in place on these draft horses. Well, mm-hmm. you're working with so many muscles that you just truly can't get through to the very bottom of them. Um, so now with the Magna Wave, if I have an issue with keeping a pelvis in place, we'll Magna Wave over that um, hip area and then make the adjustment. And that seems to stay better then. Right. And now I know that there there has to be a cost to this and this is how you make your living. But how do you convince Farmer Brown down the road that this is going to help? Because, again, you're fighting a battle. Number one, you're a female. You're going to come in and say, I'm going to treat your horse mm-hmm. with a chiropractor. And you're probably dealing with a person who's never been to a chiropractor. So how do you explain to them right. that this is going to work and it's going to, you know, I'm a believer because I've seen it. But I think there's probably a lot of skeptics out there. And I just wondered how you say, do you ever go in and say, let's make a deal. I'll do this if it helps. Then you pay me or you know, let me prove to you that I can fix your horse. 
Well, I, I guess I may have said that when I first started, but I guess I don't right. necessarily <laughs> say that now. Um, um, now, I uh, the big thing is just, even when I first got started, there were so many different training techniques that we used to do to help make the horse's head go straight, um, to not throw the head up and down while he's um, being checked up or, um, you know, cold backed horses or whatever, um, or even, you know, putting different, um, tug traces on to make them stay straight. I mean, all these different training techniques that, um, truly now with chiropractic, we're able to fix. So then it just becomes, um, why not take that, you know, do that payment one time and get it taken care of, um, and to have a happier horse, you know, um, typically after chiropractic, the horse then will have a more, um, free flowing movement. Ears are forward, um, heads not strained. I mean, all these different things. So I think the, the big thing is, yes, um, you're kind of correct. And you got to get in there one time and kind of show them that you're not just some dumb blonde girl (laughs) coming (laughs) into work. Um, and then you actually do kind of know what you're doing. Um, you know, but I do, I see a lot of, uh, different signs with, um, just in draft horses, the head checking is a big issue. And, Mm -hmm. um, then the, as far as movement wise, um, front legs, one leg coming up higher than the other, um, which, you know, in, in the draft horse world, a lot of people tend to focus on the front half of the body and they don't necessarily worry about the back half. Um, I'm a, I'm a believer of the, the motor is in the hind end of the horse. So you've got to engage that hind end to help relax and get the front end to move as it's supposed to. Um, but you know, I guess back to your original question, I think, you know, once you get in there and can work on one, um, I think that really opens the door then for more. Right. And I see, I see you working at shows and, and other people around the industry doing it. And it seems like if one person uses you at a show, then it, it kind of snowballs where, oh, the neighbor down the aisle wants to try it. And, and does a one time work, does one time work? Like, uh, let's say I see you a lot out at Harrisburg. So you're into Harrisburg. Somebody says mm-hmm. my cart horse is off. Could you work on it? Does one treatment help? Yes. Um, and it, you know, at shows, it's kind of a back and forth, uh, situation. Um, if I know going into a show, um, if I've already been asked prior to the show to work on horses, I will try to do them the day that we all move in. Mm -hmm. Um, and that way they at least have overnight, um, to relax and figure some things out. Um, but at shows when I typically will work on them, then I'll have them take them for, you know, even just a quick walk, um, just to help them help the horse relax and figure out things are different before they go into the ring. Sure. Um, there are situations where it's just, you know, you don't have that kind of time, but I will say with the Magna wave now, um, even at Indiana this year, I was working on a, a gelding for a guy right before they literally started grooming the horse to put harness on as I was still magnawaving him. Oh my. Um, so that's kind of the difference. Yeah. <laughs> they ended up winning. So it was kind well, of a big hey, deal, but, um, yeah, take the, take all that credit. You, so, it was your fault. Thank you. <laughs> exa- 
Exactly. But, you know, that's kind of the thing is that with MagnaWave, there's no downtime. You can use them right away. Um, with chiropractic, I always recommend, you know, a little bit of downtime anyway. Sure. Well, I'm going to jump ahead in our program a little bit and say that we are for the first time, Glenn, going to have a husband and wife team as our guest today. And so Marissa um, is married to Jonathan. And so we got to know, does Jonathan, uh, does he get a lot of massages with his show horses? Because, uh, you know, that was a benefit of marrying, getting married. <laughs> well, um, the horses, I would say, get way more than he does. I was just going to ask that. I was going to say, you know, the heck with the horses. Does he get any special benefits? <laughs> well, the MagnaWave yeah, is... People on... often ask him that. <laughs> yeah. And you can use the MagnaWave on humans, too, right? I, I see it set up at different shows. Yeah. and. They have it on people. So, see, he's, yep. he's at a win-win right now. Yeah, well, let's well, see what he I says. Well, I will say with the MagnaWave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say with the MagnaWave, this is one of the first uh, inventions out there that actually go from um, equine to human. Um, and there's so many different trials and stuff out there for FDA approval and that kind of thing. But... Typically, a lot of the stuff that we have go from human side to horse side. So this is one of the uh, few machines out there that actually started in the equine world. But yes, now is used on humans. Um, and I think that Jonathan probably gets a little bit more use out of that than um, me hand massaging. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to ask him, you know that. But well, it's 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 yeah. been... Awesome talking to you because I, I want people, like I said, I know there's always likes of skeptics that chiropractic doesn't work on humans and, and then some believe it does. So it's exciting to have you. And, and I have to say, Glenn, there are several young ladies out there doing it in our draft horse industry right now. So it's something that that's beneficial for the horse and, and keeps like Marissa, she is a, is a very talented horsewoman, but it keeps her in the business and, and she's helping as well. So Marissa, give a shout out if people are interested. I know you travel to shows all over, but you're located in Ohio. If people want to get a hold of you and talk to you, how can they find you? So I have a page on Facebook that you can like, um, Marissa Greenslade. Uh, and then, um, I am on Facebook. Then you can friend request me as well. Um, and if you also go to the MagnaWave website, um, the MagnaWave website, there are different practitioners. You can go to your area and they will pull up uh, a specific um, practitioner in your area that's, that's closer. But obviously, if anyone has any questions or anything, um, don't hesitate. I'm, I'm more than happy to try to answer them and get you um, in touch with someone in your area. I, I do, like you said, there are multiple chiropractors out there now that um, depending on the state that you're in and that kind of thing, I, I would be able to hook you up with and get you on the right path. Um, but obviously any questions or anything, let me know. Um, and I'll, I'll do what I can to help you out. Wonderful. It's been great talking with you. And like I said, it's, it's always fun to see in the ring, you do a great job and, and it's nice to have you working back and, and helping horses as well. So we hope you have a great day. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Glenn. All right. Take care. All right. You we too. are 
Bye-bye, Marissa. Well, we're going to talk about some of the upcoming state fairs. And, and I'll tell you, Glenn, it is state fair season. I started getting contracts for announcing uh, back in January. So before we know it, it's going to be fair time. And one of the best fairs around is the Iowa State Fair. Again, spring is upon us, and it's time to start thinking about the summer horse show season. The Iowa State Fair has a long history and a great tradition of horses. For over 160 years, horses have been a vital part of this world-renowned event. Management and staff at the Iowa State Fair would love to have you be a part of their grand tradition. If you've been there, you will know that crowds line the streets to see the draft horses as they enter the beautiful Jacobson Exhibition Center. The sound of steel-shod hoofs on the pavement and the jingle of the harness are often listed as the fairgirl's favorite fairgoers favorite memories the atmosphere is electric during the seven days of the iowa state fair draft horse shows we are going to be hosting two national shows at iowa state fair this year the national percheron show and the national shire show all going to be home in des moines and we're also going to show the versatility with the farm teams they kick things off at 8 a.m on august 11th with log skidding obstacle courses antique vehicle competitions feed team races, and a barnyard horse pole. Belgian and Shires follow from August 13th through the 15th with halter hitch and youth competitions. And then the Clydesdales and Percherons round out the schedule from August 17th through the 20th. We will have over 1,000 horses of all breeds to be on the fairgrounds during the 11-day event. They always say that nothing compares to Iowa State Fair, and that truly is their logo, and it is the truth. Premium books are going to be available online at www.iowastatefair.org. Entries are due July 1st, but if you are coming just to watch the show, book your hotels, make the trip to Des Moines. It is a first-class facility, and again, they are proud to host two nationals this year, the National Shire Show and the National Pertron Show, where all our national champions will be crowned. Show management would love to answer any of your questions, and they can be reached on the internet at horse. Oh, you can email them at horse at iowastatefair.org. The Iowa State Fair runs August 10th through the 20th, and nothing compares to the State Fair thrills. So, Glenn, I really think you need to come up and, and join us at Iowa. I've, I've never I've been, been to Iowa. I tell you, it is. I do six state fairs. It is one of my favorite. It is the most family orientated fair. Pauline, uh, Nate, Harper, and their crew, they do an excellent job of getting the horses in and out. And, you know, when we talk about a, a state fair hosting two national shows, they're lucky that there's a few days break in between. How because they, are you not the size of a draft horse going <laughs> and, and all this food at state fairs all the time? <laughs> well, have you, you must have a lot of self-control there, Lisa, because I'm not Be sure I would. You never get out of the arena when you're announcing, and, and you know, <laughs> like at Iowa, <laughs> at Iowa, it's kind of fun because we show um, the miniatures. We'll show with the Belgians and the Shires, so you have a full day. Because if you're not showing a draft horse class, you're showing a miniature class. And then when the Pertron and the Clydesdales come in, the draft ponies are showing. So again, you alternate your classes between them. And on halter day, you're showing on both sides of the arena. So I don't. I don't have a lot of time to to visit the fair, and when you do, especially Iowa, you start at 7. You have to be there at 7 in the morning to get everything started, and you get out of there at 9 o'clock at night. So first thing you want to do is hit the bat, hit, hit bed and try to get up for the next morning. But That wouldn't I, stop me from was, sending people out for all the fried stuff. <laughs> I'd have every fried everything. 
They have it. I tell you, that is one of the best things about Iowa. They actually do a pamphlet with like a food map. Oh, really? Here that you can find <laughs> what's the new creations, what's what's unusual, and and you get a lot of bacon at Iowa State Fair. Chocolate dipped bacon, bacon wrapped around this. Um, but you're right, everything fried on a stick. <sighs> Nothing better. All right, we better get to our next guest. (laughs) (laughs) All right, our next guest, and as I said, we are going to be welcoming for the first time a husband and wife team to be a part of our Horses in the Morning. And today we're welcoming Jonathan Cush. We talked to his wife, Marissa, just a few minutes ago. Jonathan represents Cush Farms, located again in Ohio. And Jonathan, we'd like to welcome you this morning. Morning, Glenn and Lisa. How are you guys? Good. Well, so we have to know, are you just passing your phone back and forth? (laughs) They actually called us on different numbers. (laughs) I was going to say, did you listen and critique Marissa? So now she can uh, listen to you. Uh, Well, we're going to talk about... I have my list of notes for her, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why am I not getting massages every day? Um, That was the first on the list. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, we we put a good plug in for you, but I think one of the the neat things that we're going to talk to Jonathan about today is that historically our guests have been people that have grown up in the industry and and you know for like myself I'm a third generation that I can remember working with the draft horses and and a lot of our exhibitors today are are families that have just carried on the tradition but Jonathan comes to us and we like to say he represents the new generation of the heavy horsemen you did not grow up with draft horses Jonathan as I was doing my research it wasn't till you were about nine years old that you owned your first horse which was a light horse, but you have quickly skyrocketed into our Belgian industry and been at the top of the game, and and that's quite interesting. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about what made you want to get involved with the Gentle Giants. If you started with a pony, how did you progress into the Belgians? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for the compliments. Um, but, uh, how we got started, you know, when you have a pony, you always want a bigger horse, right? You never have (laughs) a bigger horse in there, but, um, truthfully, the guy that got us started was the guy to hold that horse home, uh, when we first bought it. So we bought that, that riding horse, um, had no barn, nothing, no bigger home. And there was a young man who worked for my godparents that had a truck and trailer by the name of Steve McQueen, which Lisa, I think, you know, absolutely been in the draft horse business for a long time. So Steve held that first horse home for us, and then um, he actually gave us the lead rope that he brought her home with. You know, we tied her to the tree in the backyard, and, and there was the start. So um, I remember Steve saying, you need this way worse than we do. Uh, <laughs> and he <laughs> that lead rope. So, um, but yeah, so we, we showed at our county fair that that particular mare took us. I have four younger brothers, and she took all five of us through 4-H. We would show at the county fair, and... Uh, which is where the Dover sale is held. I don't know if you've been there before, Lisa, sure. but where the yep. Dover sale is held. And then the four-way barn um, was always the draft horse exhibitors, which Steve was always there exhibiting. So we spent a lot of time around there and doing different things. And my dad always was uh, enamored with the idea of having a farm team just to drive around on, on Sundays, you know, something he could play with in the backyard. And right. so um, in 2000, when I was still in college, um, the fall of 2000 at the Dover sale, uh, my dad bought a team of uh, farm mares from an Amish guy out in Bex Mills. And, uh, and that was the start. So when I came home, we had those, those two old mares and I wanted to raise babies. And so we started down the path and, and here we are. <laughs> so, 
Wow. Well, um, it's amazing. Yeah. And and I had to laugh reading your bios. You said you took that farm team and you thought you were going to make show horses out of them. And so you went to your first show with them and kind of got the gate and you decided that's not where you wanted to be. You wanted to be at the top instead of, you know, trying to promote, promote the farm horses. So how did you decide on your very first horse? Did you study pedigrees or did you just go to a sale and, and see something that you liked and decided she's the one or what was going to be your focus? Was it always going to be about mares and, and trying to produce or were geldings very intriguing as well? Uh, the first horse I ever bought was a gelding. Um, and I bought him at the same sale we bought the riding horse mare at, um, which is just a local sale. And he was pretty cheap. And uh, we took him to horse shows all summer. My my third brother and I, which his name is Michael, he and I were, were the heaviest and really wanting to show draft horses early on. Um, we drug that old horse around to every <laughs> place we could that would let us show a horse. Um, and, and that's what it was about for us at the beginning. I mean, we just wanted to go to a horse show. And for me, if I took a horse to a horse show, he was a show horse, right? Exactly. I mean, he was there. So that was the criteria. Um, and so from there, we actually had raised a couple colts out of those, the, our first two old mares and that horse. And we took them to the Dover sale that fall, um, sold all three and almost had half the money we needed to buy one good mare. <laughs> and, uh, Steve kind of came in one more time and said, if you boys want to be serious, this is the mare you need to buy. And it was a mare that, um, had been raised generationally by, uh, Larry Pergolini's in-laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, She's the one that that really was our first true quality broodmare. We showed her a bunch and hauled her, and um, she's raised a lot of good babies for us. Um, horses that went on to be reserve all Americans and and different things, accolades, and we're still showing what would be granddaughters of her and getting ready to raise babies next year by her granddaughters. So, wow, yeah, that one mare made a big difference in in our program. Well, and I, and I want to quickly talk about a stallion that's made a kind of a difference in your breeding program. Last episode, we talked about the Gordyville horse sale and the L Valley double powerball horse that went through and sold for $90,000. You have a great connection to this horse. Tell us, tell us about uh, that horse as a baby. Um, he was a lot like he is right now. Pow- powerful. <laughs> um, as a baby, he was. A, yeah. He was big. He was powerful. He was extremely intelligent. Um, and one rare feature about this horse for most times, I think, is he was extremely kind. Um, my wife is still not overly happy with me that the horse still isn't in our barn. I mean, I think she would hug him every morning when she did chores. You know, he was just that kind of colt. Um, yeah, we, we ended up buying $90,000 cures that uh, quickly. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Yeah, I'll let you talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, he was a he was kind of a standout, and um, I think there'll be a story that kind of comes out about the coldest time goes on. But I, um, people ask me sometimes how we got him or how he came to be. Well, he was sired by a stallion we had had at our place um, by the name of Power Play, SP Power Play, mm-hmm. um, and the mayor, uh, Powerball's mother was a mare that really stood out to me of a good friend of mine, Elmer Coffin's place out in Pennsylvania. Um, and Elmer had called me and asked me, he had thought about breeding a mare to power play and wanted to know what mare I thought would, would nick with the horse. And I'm not here to say I knew what was going, you know, I would never predict what happened, but I really liked his mother. 
Um, and that's a big focus of ours in, in the breeding end of things. And so we picked out the mare and, and Elmer said, there's only one problem. She's, you know, had a tear in her cervix, having a big fold some time ago. We can't get her in full. We've tried, we've tried, we've tried. And I said, well, I'm willing to try some more, Elmer. So um, we continued. And two years later, when you know, out pops Powerball. And um, I never did see the cold until uh, we agreed to show him. I tried to, I had a close friend go look at the colt um, that lives out that way. And I had heard good things about him and I've seen some pictures and um, I just thought he would be a great cult to represent the stein we had at the time. We had some sisters to him. We had another brother. We had some other things. And I thought that would be a good cult to represent us. So um, we agreed to show him over the phone and uh, went and picked him up when he was about four months old. And then he was here till his second birthday right around. Wow. So were you able to get a front row spot to watch him sell at Gordyville? Uh not, I couldn't, <laughs> and I, not because I couldn't battle through the people. I just didn't know. I kind of stood back and looked at the ground and just listened because I wasn't yeah. sure what was going to happen um, and yeah. just kind of take it all in. And uh, yeah, it, w- it was a great experience to, to watch it happen. Well, that's something that, you know, it, of course, it's going to go down in our history because he is the third selling highest horse ever at a draft horse public auction. So it's going to go down in history. But you having that connection to the, you know, I remember watching you show him, I I saw you showing him at different events and, and just knowing that you had a little play in helping to advise that breeder on what mares. And, and that was one of the questions that, that I wanted to talk to you about too. You've, you, as we've said, you're somewhat new to our, to the industry because of just getting involved, but you've already made all kinds of leaps and bounds when you're thinking about breeding and and I know from talking to Marissa and you that you enjoy the breeding and and having the foals that's your part how do you pick and place your stallions and your mares how do you decide who's going to be a good cross and is that something that always works out for you um always works out is no um <laughs> and that's i guess if there's one really frustrating part with this is you know, raising horses and trying to raise that really special one is at best an educated guess. Um, and for me, I just try to be as educated as possible. Um, I heard a guy say one time, and I love this saying, the special ones are special for a reason. You know, if there was a formula to creating these great individuals, we would all do it, but that doesn't mm-hmm. exist. So our, our goal here is to try to create consistency in our program. Um, and for me, it's always about focusing on females, it's uh, pedigree, looking at, and, and not necessarily what the pedigree is or trying to memorize um, who hired what or whose mother was what, not memorizing that necessarily, but really having an understanding of what those horses looked like, what their parents looked like, um, what those horses produced themselves. You know, a lot of times we look at studs and say, I like that horse, but if you look at his progeny, it's not necessarily what he is. Um, some horses give you what they are. Some horses give you what you start with. You know, if you have a terrific mare and you breed, you know, we've found that experience with certain horses. We'll breed a bunch of mares to one stallion and we'll see the mothers come out more than we will the stallion. And the, the inverse is also true. Some horses are more dominant. So I try to really study what is giving me what, um, what my mares tend to produce, what those stallions try to produce and try to make those things work together. Um, I try to start with my broodmares being a very strong foundation, um, and then just trying to tweak little bits as, as we go on. Um, there, 
you know, for me, there's a, there's a saying in the draft first industry you hear a lot of times, people say, oh, he's good enough to be a broodmare. Uh, and that saying tends to infuriate me uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. To me, at our place, the broodmare is the highest honor. Like, to get to that point, for us to say, yes, you are good enough to raise babies here, um, it, it takes a lot for me. I'm, I'm, people say I may be overcritical, but those, that, that to me is where, where the magic happens. So, right. And, um, and one thing I that I'm kind of, one thing that I'm kind of finding in the mare hitches are very dominating out there right now. And sometimes I think it's kind of sad to see some of these powerful big mares out there that are now hitch mares instead of brood mares. And sometimes I think it's kind of sad that I think they would, they would be excellent producers, but right now their job is to be in the hitch. And of course there's people that are, are breeding and hitching and doing the same, but there's a lot of mares that are out there showing as open so that they are driving on harder. And, and sometimes I think that's a little bad in our industry that they, they should be able to be moms and hitch horses at the same time. But, um, one question for you is you've had a lot of good experiences, but there's with the good, there's always come some bad. Has there been any tough lessons that you've had to learn with breeding these Belgian horses and, and, and if you've had some tough issues, how do you learn and, and go forward from there? Oh, yeah. Um, so raising horses um, can be extremely heartbreaking. Um, and there's there's no way around it. That This is one thing that can push you to the edge and say, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Um, and, and oftentimes that's, you know, if you, if you lose a baby, which is inevitable, if you haven't lost a baby, you haven't raised enough foals, um, you know, sometimes you'll lose a mare, you'll have complications. I mean, there, there's always those things that are very exciting. And, um, the only way to get through that is to try to either remember the good times that you have or realize that this isn't for, that, that too shall pass. Yeah. Um, there are years when everything goes right and you'll have seven babies in a row and they're beautiful and they're pretty and they get up and they nurse and everything goes great. And then you'll have other years where you fight every one of them um, to get them going. So um, that, that's the toughest part. To me, that is, that is definitely the toughest part. So um, that's just something that, that you have to kind of to work to get over. Um, there was a commercial back. Uh, it was during one of the Super Bowls. It was entitled, So God Made a Farmer. You remember mm-hmm. going through that? And then there was a, yeah, that was a, good there was commercial. a portion of that. Um, the, yeah, and the guy in there says, I need a guy to, to wait 11 months, raise the baby, watch it, I dry his eye, and say maybe next year. Right. Um, right. That's tough. That is yeah. tough. And, and so th- it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. But it, yeah. the rewards of, of raising babies to me are far in excess of, of the heartaches you may encounter. Sure. Well, well, we, we have enjoyed talking with you. And, and in our final comments, we want to always involve all of our sponsors. You and Marissa are part of the Regal Marketing Group, and, and I'm here at the sale this week, and, and Dave and the, and the marketing group have pulled in. They're a great way to promote our industry, and you're involved with them as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we first got started, um, one of the things that we did as far as, you know, you asked me what we did to get, you know, when we picked out horses, um, we went to a lot of horse shows without horses. Um, we went around and looked and tried to see what we wanted to do, you know, how we wanted to be represented. And very, very early on in my career, I recognized Dave Backman as a tremendous resource for, for a marketing guru, for a brand manager to what, you know, however you want to take him, you know, he is terrific at that. Um, and we got hooked up with Dave to do our ads from the onset because I knew he would present ourselves or our farm in a light that we want to be presented in. And he has done a tremendous job of building our brand. 
Um, I think that uh, it, it's taken some time, but I think uh, some of the feedback that I get is our reputation kind of matches our character, which is a huge goal for me. Sure. Um, so, and Dave's been a big part of that. Um, and everybody, you know, draft force people in general are probably not the best marketers, right? They're, right. they're good Absolutely. at what they do when it comes to the horse business. And, uh, a mentor of mine even said one time, I, I thought this was a great quote. Um, even Christ had John the Baptist, right? So, <laughs> um, if you, <laughs> gotcha. so well, for me, um, <laughs> Dave's an essential part to what we do here. Um, I, I couldn't imagine, I'm trying to promote ourselves without him. It's just been, it's been a great experience. Well, you and Marissa make, as we know in our draft horse, you need a team that works together and you, Marissa are a great team. And, and I've watched you both in the show arena and her knowledge of hitching and driving horses and your knowledge of the breeding and the showing. And and when you two married combined, you make an excellent team and we're, we're excited that you were our first married couple. So we hope that, that people will tune in and, and listen to our show and focus on either if Marissa can help them with their issues, with their chiropractic needs or some driving tips and, and you as well. What we said, you started in this business and you worked your way up from the ground up and, and you've been a tremendous force i've watched you be crowned champion and best of breed and and watch you and i got to be a part of your first judging job i remember when you came out to pennsylvania and i was announcing and and you were (laughs) judging and and i said who is that i I don't know him and from then on got to know you marissa and and honored to call you friends and and have you in the industry so we want to thank both of you you can follow them on kush uh, farms on Facebook. Jonathan works in the financial industry for his living. So you can find him at cushfinancial.com. But we want to thank both of you for being a great part of our draft horse industry and being our guests on horses in the morning. Thank you very much. And thanks for the kind words. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, we're going to take a break here for one of our sponsors and also a song, a little Marianne Kennedy with Horses in Life. And then we're coming back. We have another guest coming up for you. We're going to switch gears and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Clydes and Shires. Uh, Absolutely. All the hairy ones uh, coming up in just a minute. But first, we have to hear from Penwood's Equine. <laughs> Over the last 30 years, the Penwoods Equine product line has grown from its original groundbreaking vitamin and mineral mix to include 26 products. As the market has changed and the nutritional science has evolved, so has Penwood Equine's product line, with quality supplements that support joint, hoof, performance, digestive, growth, and breeding health. Yet one thing still remains that separates Penwoods Equine from the competition. Every one of their products contains a large dose of common sense. Penwood's equine products are available at Shipshawana Harness and Supplies, or ask for Penwood's equine products at your local tack and feed supplier. For more information, you can call them at 800-255-3066 or visit them online at penwoods.com. It's all the same to me The reason that my heart keeps Beating inside 
forces in life This passion was born at birth Until my last day on earth It'll be was Mary Ann Kennedy with Horses in Life. You can find all of her music at maryannkennedy.com. She also has the song about minis. I almost played that today after our conversation. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's kind no, of annoying, no, no. actually. It's a very annoying song. So I, I only play it when I'm trying to annoy Jamie um, or somebody special. But I didn't figure I wanted to annoy you today. So I no. Well, now, no. you know, you, you're, at, uh, you're at a place right now where you're set up at the Clyde store and more. We used to have a tack business. And, you know, I know what it's like to load everything in the trailer and go and set it all up and then tear it all down when it's all dusty at the end of the show. I can't imagine taking draft horse stuff and doing that. 
<laughs> well, like like I said, I was watching Ship Show on a Harness yesterday, and they come in with trailers and roll out the carpet, and and Bob setting things up. It's beautiful, and and me, I came with a U-Haul. Uh, I didn't bring the big truck and trailer. I just brought a U-Haul full, but I was lucky. I had a couple young ladies that helped me set everything up yesterday. And boy, you're trying to figure out the best flow. And and I have some great neighbors beside me. I have Laura and Paige Wangler. They're beside me and, and they're doing embroidery and custom embroidery and engraving. So we kind of have a flow where we're at. You can go through Shipshawan Harness and get through us, but it, it's kind of a, an experience. It's pouring rain. Of course, we're in the Midwest and it's rain, 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 but we have set up, there's lots of vendors here. And tomorrow I get to, to meet one of our top supporters of our show. Lynn Talene will be here with the Draft Horse Journal and Lynn always captures the photo photographs so he can put them in the draft horse journal and i have to tell you i had a i had a little mishap i forgot to renew my subscription to the draft horse uh, journal and i got yeah, mine like like <laughs> i tell you it's like the bible to our draft horse industry and my son starts seeing it on on uh, facebook that people are getting their issues and why aren't why don't we have ours mom and finally i called lynn and i said did you not get my check and he said no and it was just kind of funny because I said, you know, you have to overnight me one because this just can't happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you of I've all people really need that uh, every yeah. every time it comes out. Yeah. Well, Lynn, Lynn is such a such a great guy and I can't wait to see him tomorrow. And, and he really is our driving force behind horses in the morning. So excited to see Lynn Lynn tomorrow. Thank you, Lynn. And of course, you can find the Clyde store and more, too. Right. If you're not at the show that you're at, they can go online. You have a new website. Go online at the Clydesdale store and more.com or follow me or the Clydesdale store and more on Facebook. So there's, you're, there's all kinds of ways to find us and, and we're doing shipping and we're doing sales right now. I, I put all the sweatshirts on sale because I thought, Oh, we're going into t-shirt weather. Well, it's been in the thirties and the forties. So everybody's going to get a bargain and get, and get their sweatshirts on sale. <laughs> Very good. Well, next we're switching gears a little bit and we're going to be talking about Clyde's Shire's and Budweiser. Oh, right. Is, is there a is there a better combination? No, we're gonna, I can't think of any. <laughs> we're going to be talking <laughs> with Dr. Jeff Gower. He is going to join us from Springfield, Missouri, where he is the owner of Soaring Eagle Farms. They have been in the draft horse, the Clydesdale industry, for over thirty years, and in the last year, he's made a leap to start promoting and working with the Shire draft horses as well. So, Dr. Gower, are you with us this morning? Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. How's how are things in Missouri today? Well, they're a little cool, and I'm sitting in a aesthetic salon. A good <laughs> friend of mine, she owns this place, and she's taken me on as a project. I'm getting <laughs> body fat sucked away. Oh Lord! And, uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's well, called that's... body contouring with a cold sculpture, but. Uh, <laughs> It's working, but my wife keeps saying I don't see it, but it, it is working <laughs> according to me. Well, I think I'm blushing and laughing at the same time. This is a first. <laughs> yeah, that's a first. Well, I've done 6,300 episodes, and this is a first. So, uh... <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna jump to the horses, and we're gonna go back. And like I said, you have been involved in the draft horse industry. Um, for many, many years, you have been a Clydesdale breeder and exhibitor, and I know that when, when we're at the Clydesdale sale, we're at the Clydesdale events, the Soaring Eagle prefix and, and your breeding program and your marketing is is a vital 
at all of our events. But tell me a little bit how you got started in the Clydesdale industry, because I, I know that's a very interesting story. You did not grow up with horses, but now you are one of the largest breeders in the breeding farms in our Clydesdale industry. So tell us a little bit about how Dr. Gower became Soaring Eagle Farms. Well, in 1982, Budweiser came out with a new beer called Budweiser Light. Its theme was one Clydesdale running through the snow. And uh, the brand was kind of struggling. And I decided to go to Waterloo, Iowa, which was at that time where the national sale was held in the last year. And I bought a yearling filly from August A. Bush, Jr., and uh, her name was Blueprint Sadie, and she started being the foundation mayor of Soaring Eagle, and our beer sales just started to soar, and Bob Guggenar, who was the brand manager for that brand, called me up and said, I don't know what you're doing, but you're one of the few wholesalers that's got that brand just moving off the charts, so I knew I had hit a you're home doing something run right. against Soaring Eagle Farms. Yeah. And uh, that's when we started. And then a year later, or maybe two years later, we bought a second little filly. And uh, Barry Farrell, as well as you know him, was the breeding manager for Budweiser at the time. And he told me one day it would take me 25 years to get a decent breeding program. And uh, being a hard-headed German that I am, I didn't let that waver me any. I... Uh, just kept going with my program and he called me back in five years and said I was wrong. Didn't <laughs> take you 25 years and it didn't take unlimited funds like I have with Budweiser. You're there and you're off and running and I called that phase one of Soaring Eagle Farms. Hey. So do you have a preference? Are are you you at the point where at back then, are you at the point where you decided we're just going to be a, a broodmare farm we're just going to produce babies or were you starting to watch that Budweiser hitch a little bit more and say I think I want to get into the hitching industry as well or or was it more about making the babies producing the babies that intrigued you it was it was about the foaling never spring we even to this day 35 years later in the spring when our mares and foals go out in the field we'll have 200 cars a day parked along the road, taking their pictures, bringing the grandkids or their, their children or the nephews that come take pictures. And uh, I call that word of mouth uh, advertising and it's pretty cheap. And we wanted, uh, really, we wanted to raise the best Clydesdale, but that was the best advertising we, we could get every year. It's like, you know, the TV people come out, the newspaper always run articles and so we're always in front of uh, our consumers. And then Budweiser started buying uh, stallions that they turned into gildings from us. And, you know, we were very blessed to have four or five of their of our stallions in their hitch. And then. Uh, well, that, that's got to be a highlight when started. you, especially when you're watching a commercial or for you that live down there, you go to opening game day, the Cardinals, and you see the hitch coming in and, and just to say I have horses in that 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 has to be a high of your career as well yeah that's correct when when at the time the the lead horse was from our place and we loved pointing out that 
we bred him and he was there and, and, uh, then they bought stallions from us that they put into their breeding program. So to me, that was kind of like, uh, we had arrived when they were buying stallions from us for breeding and for the hit. So we were, we are, and we were excited back then. Right. And you have been a very generous supporter of both the national Clydesdale show and the national Clydesdale sale. Now the sale is in your home state of Missouri. Um, can you tell me why these events are important to you and, and what are some of your personal show and sale highlights? I mean, I know you have plenty and I've had an opportunity to work with you and, and your horses before, but do you, like I said, you've sponsored, I know in the past you've helped donate a uh, Philly for education purposes, the proceeds going to education, but do you have any personal highlights from these events? Well, you're going to think, or your listeners are going to thank you, told me to ask this question or answer it this way, but <laughs> as you know, in the year 2000, you and Scotty uh, took two of my horses to the national show and uh, the stallion won grand champion stallion mm-hmm. and the mayor unfortunately got ill, which prevented her from being the grand champion mayor mm-hmm. and uh, double aristocrat uh, really put us on the map as uh, I think as putting out quality, quality horses and then from then on, we were able to go to the national sale and basically, I'm not saying we top it every year, but we have horses near the top in the sale. And, uh, you know, it was from that recognition that you and Scotty started for us and right. Glenn and Shelly Lewis have uh, followed on. And I call that the uh, phase two of Soaring Eagle Farm. It's uh, the Canadian connection. And basically that's. <laughs> taken great people who know how to prepare horses for the show ring and take very good horses. And, uh, the ultimate judge that I believe is the sale ring. And, uh, when people are buying your breeding program, you know, that you're doing what's you wanted to accomplish, but the people around you that really know what they're doing and follow through with it. Absolutely. Basically get me, get me the accolades. Right. And you're talking about uh, Glenn and Shelley Lewis, their daughters, Jessica and Danelle. They're, they are your Clydesdale managers and, and they moved down. They changed their whole lifestyle, come down from Canada to, to Missouri. And, and like you said, they've had a great impact on the horse operation down there because when you're talking about foaling or having 20, 30 babies a year, there's no way that uh, Dr. Gower is, is there in the barn. You do have to have a crew that's very knowledgeable and and i i've been by your place and as you said when those mares and babies are turned out it is an attraction and i'm sure when you drive by it it's something to make you very proud to see all these clydesdales but we're going to kind of switch gears now and you recently made a trip to england and you encountered some beautiful shire horses and i kind of want to know what made dr gower the clydesdale man move into the Shire industry because you have actually imported a few. So, so tell me about going to England and, and what captured your eye when you were there? What the Clydesdales weren't hairy enough. You needed ones with more hair. Is that the problem? (laughs) No, I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, Glenn and I went to Scotland and England in 2016 in September to look at some Clydes and Shires, but I'm going to go back to the, horse that Lisa won the grand champion for me at national sale, which was double aristocrat. 
his mother was imported from Scotland. And I always looked at the, the mayor and said, there's a little shire in that bloodline. <laughs> and to this day, when I look at his picture on the back of my bar at home, you can see the shire coming through. And uh, I just kind of highlighted uh, why I wanted to do this. The shires are down to, I'm going to say, rescue shires in the United States is about 550 head. They mm-hmm. may have 70 foals rescued every year. The Clydesdales are down to 350 foals a year, and I'm projecting that they'll be down to 250 either this year or next year. So both breeds kind of need a little boost to preserve their genetics, but their genetics over in Scotland and England and in the United States, uh, they're too narrow. So uh, I wanted to uh, bring in the Shires to preserve uh that breed, but also expand their uh, bloodlines. And uh, I, I call it the best of both worlds. Uh, you get the height, the foot, and the feather of the Shire, and you get the motion of the Clyde. And over in England, you can they have a grade-up program. And I can register, I can take a Shire stallion on breed to my Clyde mares, and I can breed up, and after two years, I will have a purebred Shire mare and that can compete in the shows, but basically expand the bloodlines. And uh, that all started back in around 1345 with King Edward. He put a tax on any Clyde coming into England because he knew that the Scots were sneaking across the border and uh, (laughs) breeding Clyde's stallions to his English Shire mares. Uh, Didn't stop the breeders then. You won't stop the breeders now. One of the associations or both hopefully will have a grading up program and we will continue to have a preservation of these two great breeds and uh, we'll expand the bloodlines and uh, are, genetic are, bloodlines do need to be expanded. These two breeds, are they like, I mean, if you take a look at all the draft breeds, these two seem to be, and I could be totally wrong about this, and I'm going to get a lot of email, but um, they seem to be, from an outsider looking in, two of the closest genetically. Yeah, I, I, I would agree s- with you 100%. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, a lot, a lot of times at the shows, you will notice that the Percheron show alone, the Belgian show alone, but at some of the smaller shows, they combine the classes. The the Clydesdales and the Shires will show together, um, both in the halter and the hitches. Uh, they'll they'll show together because they do have a lot of the common traits. I mean, I guess for the trained uh, breeders, there are the significant differences. But if you're in the crowd watching and you see the feather and the movement, you're you're going to compare the Shires and the Clydesdales very closely together. And we're excited. One of our sponsors of the show, the Iowa State Fair, is once again going to be hosting the National Shire Show. And it is the biggest turnout of Shire draft horses in both the halter and the hitches. I think last year we had five uh, six horse hitches, which is just phenomenal. They were all shires. So that was phenomenal for everybody to gather together, um, all come to Iowa and, and put on a tremendous show. And, and I'm assuming Dr. Gower, you're going to be showing, showing some halter horses at Iowa this year. Uh, yeah, that's our plan. We've, uh, brought in, uh, three shire stud coats and uh, we're going to be taking a two year old stallion and a 
yearling stallion up there and uh, see what we can do. And uh, all the, these three were Hamlet coats. And I have said, and I'm on record saying that Hamlet was the best looking specimen mm-hmm. of a draft horse, whether it's Shire or <laughs> Clyde. And right. I'm still saying somewhere back there, there's a little bit of cross between the Shire and the Clyde, but this horse could move. He was big. He was colored. He had great foot. He had great feather. And I just said, I got to have a Hamlet coat. And he had died just prior to us going over to uh, England. And uh, Paul and Matthew Bedford had three nice foals there. And we were lucky enough to talk them into selling them to us. Perfect. Well, like I said, you you have been a a very dominating force in the Clydesdale industry and a big supporter of our Clydesdale organization and the sales and the shows. And now it's nice to have you working with the Shires as well. As you said, very limited numbers of Shires and, and people importing them. So nice to have you in the business and I am looking forward to seeing your Colts. Uh, you'll be joining us at different shows all across um, the Midwest with Glenn Lewis and his family. But I want to thank you for being a part of our show and, and for keeping the spotlight on the Clydesdales. I appreciate you uh, including me in this discussion. And uh, if you could see me now, you'd be giggling because I've got... <laughs> A big machine hooked up to me and uh, a monitor. La, 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 la. We don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) All right. Well, we hope all the best with what what you're doing today. And I'll check in with you later and see how the progress is going. (laughs) Bye, Jeff. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Okay, that's a first. first. Yeah, that's a first. It's like, and then he wanted to go back to it at the end. (laughs) Okay, Okay. well, we're going to move into something more. Shipshawana's going to be so proud Uh, that we're going to talk about them right now. (laughs) We're going to talk about Shipshawana Hardis and Supplies. And like I said, Bob and Jim are here. And uh, sometimes, and, and I don't know how to say this nicely, but sometimes you can find equipment and things that are maybe less expensive or, um, but I just have to say, we have to support our people in our industry that support us and ship harness supports our industry every breed every time they're asked they give of it um they they sponsor classes they sponsor shows they're so involved in our industry we just hope that everybody supports them so we're ready to hear from ship harness Shipshawana Harness and Supplies in the heart of draft horse country in Shipshawana, Indiana, is your source for everything draft horse. Their large inventory of in-house crafted harness, halters, and show bridles, showtime blankets, sweats, wagons, and carts, horse care products, and even shoeing supplies will fill the needs of the heavy horse hobbyist, the horse farmer, the heavy horse exhibitor, and the horse pulling competitor. You can find them online at ShipshawanaHarness.com, as well as on Facebook at Shipshawana Harness. Or you can give them a call at 260-768-7254. Just ask for Bob. Shipshawana Harness and Supplies, your source for everything draft horse. Well, 
Lisa, before we get into what events are, are coming up and the schedule, I had a listener question I thought would be a good one to ask you. She wrote to me during the show, and she said "I um, she she wanted to know... I'm finding it here. Hold on one second. Well, if this has to do with body contouring, I'm not answering. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Uh, okay. If you're maybe, if I'm maybe interested in getting into the draft, a draft breed, what advice would you give someone or what special things should, should you know when you're getting your first draft horse, you know, you're just wanting, you know, maybe not even to compete, but you're wanting a draft horse to ride or whatever. What would you advise people? I know we just dove in, bought one and figured it out later, but uh, do you have a better plan? than that. <laughs> My biggest advice is to find a mentor. Find somebody in your area. And, you know, all across this great country, there are draft horse people and there's never a better group of people that are, are helping to mentor and to help guide you. Um, we have events all across the sales Get get the draft horse journal, read and find out who's in your area because almost every state has an organization that is dedicated to draft horses and mules. Find that listing in the Draft Horse Journal in your area. Find out who's by you and just make a contact because, unfortunately, just like in every every aspect of showing or competing, there's people that are going to guide you in a good way and there's going to be people that guide you maybe in not such a positive way. You find out what you want to do. And I get this question when I'm announcing. They'll always say to me, how much does a horse cost? And I say, it's just like buying a car. You can drive a car that just gets you safely to work and back every day, or you can buy a sports car that's going to get attention wherever you're driving. And it's the exact same thing with a horse. You can spend a thousand to $2,000 on a horse. That's something that's old and steady, or, you know, we're talking on the extreme side, the $90,000 Powerball horse. You have to decide what you want to do with that horse. And if you're buying your first horse, my suggestion is you buy an older horse that, that has been there and done that. And when I'm working auctions, I always say, find a horse that's going to teach you something. You know, this horse is, is been in traffic. It's been around people. It knows what it's doing. And if, and if it gets in a sticky situation, the horse is going to respond very well. You get a young horse, you're a young owner, those two don't always match. So my well, best and, advice, and, and find, two, an, find an advisor. I agree because, you know, draft horses, yes, they're horses. And, you know, people who have had horses before think that it's going to be the same thing, only a little bigger. And they're right. It is a, it is a horse, but everything is going to co- – one, one of the things to keep in mind is everything is going to cost you more. Uh, exactly. Trimming's going to cost you more. Hay's going to cost you more. They eat more. Um, just everything tends to cost a little more. So one, keep that in mind, and can you handle that? And they're just they're they're. I, what's the word? Taking care of a draft horse is just a little bit more time consuming too. They're bigger. There's more to take care of. So right. you know, it is a little bit different than you know. I was used to ponies when we dove into the draft world, and we did. You know, they tend to have some unique issues too. Uh, with mm-hmm. their feet and situations that, that we had to deal with there that we were not prepared for. So I wish we had done what you said and we had been in contact with some draft people and we'd actually spent a little bit of time with them um, before right. we dove in. Or go to the, you know, one of the one <coughs> of the best things is, is go to a draft horse show and kind of be like that fly on the wall. Yes. Just watch. And, and I know Jonathan referred to that, that he would go to shows and just watch the McQueens and, and observe. And, and that's the way that you learn the most. I mean, you're probably going to 
whatever your passion is, if, if you say, I love the brown horses, I'm going to be a Belgian person. They're a lot less work than if you're going to say, I'm going to own a Clydesdale or I'm going to own a Shire. Or a white Percheron. <laughs> you're getting into yeah. a lot more work. You know, then, then you deal with the feather and you deal with all that. But go to a show and watch. That's the best thing. And go to the sale. See what's bringing good money. What's, you know, you'll quickly learn. If a horse comes in and, and is a, at the average of the sale or if a horse comes in and they, they can't hardly get a bid at five or $600, study that horse and see why did that horse bring so little when this one and went for more money? There so, are rescues in the draft horse world too. So there, uh, there definitely are with with horses that need a home. If you're looking for something to be a backyard ornament or you know uh, something like that, it's something to take a look at too. But I love your advice of hanging around, hang around somebody who has some and just help out. Um, yeah, and and if you live in in if you live in the Midwest area, I know one event that's coming up. It's sponsored um, by the Belgian Association and produced by the Clydesdale Association. It's the Youth and Novice Clinic, and it's held right here where I'm at in Madison, Wisconsin. It's in July, but it is an opportunity for the kids to come in. For the people, it doesn't matter if you're 80 years old and you want to, you know, go in the show arena and see what it is about. This is a place where you can come, and you can find more information on that at theclydesusa.com or call the Clydesdale office. But they have this show where hey, people you don't even have to own a horse. You can come, and people will lend you a horse. You'll learn the techniques of showing or driving the cart horse. So that's something as well. There's always education days in, in most of these states because their state association will put them on for the purpose of getting new members. So we welcome anybody that's interested in, in being in our draft horse industry, no matter what breed it is. Just find somebody in your area. Um, it doesn't matter if you go and say, hey, I'll shovel stalls for a weekend. Just let me watch what you do. Let me be around your horses to see if it's going to be a good fit for me. Because the worst thing is getting a horse and then you have it and you don't yeah. know what to do. That's, that's kind of the worst part. Right. Exactly. And it in, yeah. you end up in trouble, but no. Well, and I you think, know, we covered the challenge. I talked about the challenges there, but there is just not, I don't know. I, I, when I think back to all the horses I've owned and there's been a few, uh, it was the Percherons that are still stand out in my mind as the ones that I just, I just loved owning the Percherons. Uh, You know, they're just something special about them. My wife used to give lessons for little five-year-old kids, riding lessons on the Percherons, because they were the quietest horse we had. Um, You know, it wasn't the ponies. (laughs) The ponies would want to kill the kids, but it was the Percherons (laughs) that would take care of them. So, yeah. Well, Uh, by by our next show, I'll be able to... We have a mare that's due in just a couple weeks. Babies! yeah, Austin and I love it, but I become I become a nervous wreck because I'm the kind that even though I'm a positive person, I think when that mare's starting to fall, I I think of everything that could go wrong and people laugh at me because I have a little full bag prepared and and <laughs> I I'm like the typical stressed out mom. I but let's hope everything goes well and and this is the fun time of the year watching all the pictures come up on Facebook of the foals and yeah, as Jonathan and Marissa both said, yeah, if you've not lost a foal You've not been in the business long enough because there's sadness with all the happiness. But this is a this is a time of birth in the draft horse industry. It's it's fun watching all these uh, foals be born, and they come out almost twice the size of a of a normal horse. So you you start that battle off quickly. But it, it's it's a very great time of the year for for our draft horse industry. 
Very good. And uh, let's go over some of the things coming up before we wrap up the show. Well, I am, as I said, at the Midwest Select Draft Horse Sale in Madison, Wisconsin. Not too late to join us here. The driving horses, the light horses are selling today. And tomorrow we'll have Lynn with the Draft Horse Journal capturing the pictures of the sellers going through with the draft horses. Have about 100 head of Pertrin and Belgians going through. Um, Also going on right now in Columbus, Ohio, is the equine affair. That is the Ohio's way of promoting the horse industry. It's done with style and class. It's it's always a great time in Columbus. If you're looking for more sales in Kingman, Kansas, is the Kingman Draft Horse and Mule Sale. That is going on this weekend as well. Then gearing up in Kelowna, Iowa, the Kelowna Spring Draft Horse Sale. Lots of Belgians and Pertrins going through that. That is April 10th and the 11th. And then one of our highlights in our draft horse industry, the Carson's Draft Horse Sale in Listowel, Ontario, Canada, Good value for your Canadian dollar right now, April 21st through the 22nd. You can go to Carson's Draft Horse Sale and, and see all they have to offer. And then, of course, one of our major sponsors of our Horses in the Morning is the National Clydesdale Sale. That will be held in Lake St. Louis, just outside of St. Louis. It is April 27th through the 29th, where, as we said, it is much more than a sale. We'll have our annual meeting. We're going to have um, Budweiser sponsors during the sale. They sponsor a banquet night, which is a first-class event. We are going to have an auction that night. Myself and Dr. Uh, Linda Harmon sponsor and work along with Kathy on that auction, and all the money raised will be going towards the World Clydesdale Show, which will be held right here in Madison, Wisconsin. It is a family gathering. You get to an opportunity to meet old friends, make new friends, and, and share the love of the Clydesdale horse. So the National Clydesdale Sale, April 27th through the 29th. Lots of good things coming up. And if we fail to mention it, make sure that your subscription to the Draft Horse Journal is paid and that you get your quarterly magazine because, as we said, it is the leading publication in our heavy horse industry darn thing you have to pay it i, I mean, know that, that, that. i know <laughs> and if you don't you have to say could you overnight it to to me? <laughs> then you have to beg that's what you have to do after that well lynn we thank you for helping put all the guests together today over at the draft tourist journal we appreciate it we love doing this episode every month it goes by so quickly though and we're gonna be uh back and we learned something new about a procedure you can get for humans today too not only did we talk about chiropractic we uh I don't even know what you call that. All right. Thank you, everybody. Don't forget that we will be back here tomorrow on Horses in the Morning. We're here every morning, 9 a.m. We have uh, really bad ads tomorrow, so we'll be uh, doing that. We do that every Friday. Go to Craigslist, find some really bad uh, Craigslist ads, send them over, and we'll have a little fun with them. We have a special guest in studio tomorrow here in Ocala. Uh, A fellow podcaster by the name of Steve Adams is coming up from Tampa. He does the Mighty Blue on the AT podcast. He does a podcast all about hiking the Appalachian Trail. And he'll be here tomorrow. He wanted to sit in, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and we, the easiest way to listen to our shows is our app, iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network in your app store. Download the app. It's the simplest and easiest way to listen to all the recorded shows. We have 13 different shows we do in the network. Or you can listen live as well. Thanks a bunch, Lisa. Well, thank you. And, you know, we will be posting the direct link on Facebook because a lot of people follow us on Facebook and and are asking, how do we listen in? So we just want everybody to know that we'll post today's show soon, but you can go back and listen to all of our nine episodes of Horses in the Morning with the Draft Horses. Sounds good. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. 